we've been in a, a series about the Word of God, and the, the reason that we've been highlighting the Word is because uh, we, God has spoke something to me about a work that He would be doing between the resurrection and the day of Pentecost, like literally on the calendar. He said, I am going to do this work in my body. And so what, uh, what we, I, I taught a message on Thomas, how, how God restored faith in, in Thomas. Most of us call him Doubting Thomas, but don't know that he actually changed India and that most of his ministry uh, still rolls on today that Thomas would go and change India, and he restored uh, Peter, and so he restored a calling there, and then, then we begin to see that the word itself is powerful, that God sends his word, and so there is a restoring work, but listen, church, if God, God is saying, listen, I, I, I did a work this year during Passover, okay, this is the time when we were celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Globally, the whole world did what they did in the book of Exodus. Death was passing by. What did everybody do? They went in their house and closed the door. And if you're a believer, you said, I apply the blood. I apply the blood to this house. No sickness and disease is coming in my house. I mean, you would have prayed that prayer, whether or not you were touched by the virus at all. And so there was a, literally the whole world participated in Passover. Here's what I believe. Next week is Pentecost. The whole world is about to experience a fresh outpouring of God's spirit. This is good news. I'm excited about Pentecost. It's next week. Starts And we're going to start to really say, okay, God, what does it mean for the church to rise up in your spirit in concert with what you're doing on this planet? Here's what I believe. I believe thousands and thousands and thousands of people are about to come to Christ. I believe it. My spirit, it's, it's about to take place. We'll talk a little bit about that in, in a few moments. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But, um, but between the resurrection and Pentecost... Jesus did a work. And that's where we find ourselves in the final stages of God actually making his disciples ready for a move of his spirit. And the primary way, listen to me, the primary way, the primary way God makes us ready is through the word of God. Okay? Now, while I'm teaching you this, I want you to understand something. That I'm not only talking about the scriptures when I say the word of God. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John 1 and John 15. That's where we're going to be today. I'll have lots of other scriptures for you. If you have the Bible app and you're not easily distracted, you can find our live event. All these notes will download there and you can add your own notes to it. Uh, uh, you can also go to Calvary.online, click today's message, all of them. It'll lead you right there on the Bible app. We want you to get involved and write down what the Lord is saying to you. Go to John 1, and what does it say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, He was, He was in the beginning with God. If you look at verse 14, it tells you who the Word is. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is the Word of God? 
Who is the Word of God? Jesus is the Word of God. So when we are elevating the Word of God, we are not only elevating the Scripture, we are elevating Jesus. And if we're going to be prepared for an outpouring, it will be because we begin to embrace the benefits of the Word of God. The Word of God has profound benefits, profound benefits in the life of a believer. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You please go online and listen to the message from first Wednesday from uh, Psalm 107. It says, he sent his word and healed them. We begin to understand the supernatural nature of God's word. If you've never heard anything like that, go and listen to that message. I believe you'll be stirred up to receive God's power. Now, I want us today to focus in on John 15, verses 1 through 8. And uh, what I'm about to teach you, it is probably, it, it's likely that only a few of you have ever heard anything like this. I promise you that when I begin to study this about the Word, God took me deep and deep and deeper still into these eight verses. And so today, I'm going to give you some of the highlights, but you're going to really need to think. You're going to need to process. You're going to need to write some things down. And so um, this is a powerful uh, group of scriptures, and I'm going to give you context in a moment. But let's read them first together. John 15 will begin in verses 1 through 8. It says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit in and of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they, they, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, listen to these statements, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now... Um, I, I want to give you a little, little, little back story on, uh, on this. Now, this is John chapter 15, okay? Just a couple of verses before, a uh, couple chapters before, uh, they are in the upper room. The upper room is where they had the, the last supper. That's what you would call that. It was actually a Passover meal. He said, how I long to eat this with you. He, he, then, he then institutes commun communion. Most of us know that that's, we know about the Last Supper because we know that he breaks the bread, blesses the bread, gives the bread and says, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. He lifts the cup at the end of supper and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so well, sometimes when we look through these moments, we don't actually get them grouped together on a timeline. But I want you to kind of group these things together. Now, he's in the Last Supper. 
And then he begins to speak some words in John 14. Begins to give marital language to their relationships. He says this, in my father's house there are many, uh, if you like King James, mansions. Come on, that just preaches good, doesn't it? In my father's house there are many mansions. Ha! Come on. I know, I know, but in the NIV and some of the newer texts, it's not really mansions, it's rooms. Because in a Jewish culture, what, the, what, a, what a newlywed would do is they, they would build on to the father's house. They would take on no new thing. And, and here they are, they build on, they add on. And here's what he's saying. In my father's house, there are many bridal chambers. He goes, there's room enough for everybody. In my house, my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to get a bridal chamber ready. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. I'm, I'm telling you, they ought, they ought to be getting real happy up there in the upper room. But he goes on and he continues to teach them. He's teaching them about the Holy Spirit and what's going to happen. And then he says, hey, end of John 14, hey, we need to leave. We need to get up from here and go. They get up and they are walking to where Jesus would ultimately be betrayed. The Garden of Gethsemane. So, picture this. He is walking and teaching through Jerusalem on his way from the upper room, which is just outside the old city walls. You would The closest way to get to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is just through the valley on the other side of the hill, you can actually see it from the upper room, is to walk through the temple courts. And when you get to the gate of the temple court, you want to know the, what was the picture that was, that was literally etched into the gate? It's a vine and grapes. And now this is, this is because I, I think there's lots of reasons. God instructed them to do it, but it also goes back to Isaiah chapter 5 where God calls Israel the vine. But then Jesus walking with his disciples to Gethsemane would have probably, now we don't have step by step, but would have probably gone that way. And it's Passover. So during Passover, the temple, the gates, they would never close. They'd be open all night. People are traveling for a great distance to come into Jerusalem to worship and to pray. So it's open 24 hours a day. They walk in through the gate, and this is my personal belief, that when they got to the gate and they could see the cluster of grapes in the vine, Jesus said, I am the true vine. I'm the vine. You're the branches. You know what he was saying? He was saying to this, his disciples, hey, listen, in the Greek, it really says it this way. I am the vine, the true. So literally it says, I am the vine, the true. He's saying, listen, do not think because you are connected to a religious system and a religious temple and everything that has been consummated and built in this place that it means you're connected to God. He says, they think that's the vine. Jesus is saying, I'm the vine. Listen, 
The building is not the vine. The organization, we use it. We need it. But it's not the vine. The vine is Jesus himself. He said, I am the vine, the true vine. And in this time, what did they do? They had exalted a religious system. They were more married to the system than they were to God. And I believe what God wants to speak to us today. He says, listen, I don't want you married to a system. I want you married to me. Now, in this, this whole story, he begins to, to, to teach. And now I want to walk you through some of this because uh, you need to see who's in the story. There is the father who is the vine dresser, the husbandman, the vine dresser. And then there is Jesus, the vine, or Jesus, the word which you'll, you'll begin to understand in just a moment. But there is a work that the Father does to the vine. And this is what I want you to see. This is in preparation for a massive harvest. This is the story he's telling here. Now, the Father is the one who works with the vine. And this is what he does with the word of God, Jesus, okay? This is how it affects us. We're the branches. And by the way, it does say this. If anyone is in me, listen, you're not attached to the vine unless you are in Christ. You need to repent and believe. Just give your life to Christ. That's how you're in. It's not because you're on a roll of a church. It's not because your family has always been uh, to, to church or anything. It is because you have surrendered to Christ's lordship and leadership in your life. That is what makes you in him. Now, we're going to see the benefit of being in him and what the Father does with the word. First, he does a work that is amazing. He lifts you. Write that down. He lifts you. Notice uh, John 15, verses 1 and the beginning of 2. It says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, notice these words, he takes away. Takes away. It says, everyone that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, if you have a New King James Version or a, a version that sometimes will give you other translations of words in the, in, the, in the middle of your Bible there, you might see a little subheading that gives you a literal translation of this word, takes away. It is this word in Greek. It's, it's ero. It's the way you'd say it. But it's, it's spelled ero. A-I-R-O. Oh, and here is what it means almost every other time. It means to lift up. It means to bear up, to hold up. It means to lift up. Now, I just want to help you to understand why I believe and many scholars actually believe that lift up is a much better translation of this word than is 
uh, takes away. Because we think of takes away, well, if I'm in Christ and he takes me away because I'm not fruitful, what's that mean? I am eternally abandoned to hell. I mean, that's what we think it means. If he takes me away from Jesus and Jesus is my only hope, he's taking me away because I don't have fruit. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first got born again, I wasn't bearing fruit. When I first gave my life to Christ, man, I was just bumbling through. I didn't know I was making mistakes left and right. Can you imagine? God comes along and finds me about a week and a half in and I'm just bumbling through. He's like, no fruit yet? Up, oh, you're out. That doesn't reflect the character and nature and the other things that we see in the scriptures. However, if we translate this word lift up and we actually begin to understand what a vine dresser does in Israel, then we'll understand this is the exact translation of this. It means to raise up, to elevate from the ground. Now, um, the, the grapevines in that day don't, don't look like what you've seen on TV in California. All elevated off the ground, every pole, every so feet, and, and you know, it, it's just, these vines are just all held up. That is not the way it looks. In the, uh, the Eskol Valley, in, uh, which is in the Hebron area in, in Israel, still to this day, the most delicious grapes come um, from the place that the 12 spies originally went in. That's the place. So they go in in Numbers 13, and they go in, and what do they bring back? Clusters of grapes. That's actually what Eskol means. It means cluster. Like they named it after what they saw happening there. There was these giant clusters of grapes. So, but the way they grow grapes is not like we grow grapes. There are these large vines that grow out from the, the ground. And what a vine dresser does is he places a large rock right next to the root of the vine. So the rock, the, the vine can lean on the rock and it's elevated for a little bit. But then the vine actually grows along the ground. So the grapes in Israel, they're grown on the ground, not in the air. And as the vine begins to grow and there is new growth, here's what happens. He goes down and he looks and he finds the end of the vine. Near the base, where this vine has been growing for a while, lots of fruit. Out in the area of new growth, no fruit. What does the vine dresser do in that region? Here's what he does. He lifts the vine and turns the vine and lays it back down. He lifts the vine and turns the vine. This is the picture of what God is doing. The vine dresser finds the vines with no fruit 
and lifts them and turns them to expose them to two things, light and air. The vine dresser goes and finds those who are growing. Listen, we're the branches. He goes and finds the branches that are not bearing fruit and he lifts them and turns them to expose them to light and air. We know this in the script, just in the natural, that if you've ever tried to grow anything without the sun, it dies. It dies. We need the light. In John 1, remember where, the, where Jesus is declared the word of God, John 1, 4 says, in him was life and that life was the light of men. It was Jesus is the light that we need. So what is it saying when the vine dresser lifts us up and turns us over? He is saying, I want to expose you in every area of your life to the full character of Jesus. It's the full character of Jesus. Anybody have really good growth in some areas and then some other areas you just tried to keep hidden? Do you know what the vine dresser is doing in your life where there's some obvious things that are out of order? He's coming to not take you away. He's coming to lift you up and turn you over and expose you to the, the S-O-N. He's going to expose you to the sun. I love this. Psalm 119. This is so good. He's exposing us to light. He's illuminating our hearts with the character and the life and the thoughts of God. He says in Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How many of you know that, um, you know, when you're looking backwards in the past, you know, that's perfect vision. You look back and you thought, hmm, wow, if I had known that, I would have never dated her. <laughs> Hello. Oh, man. If I had known it was kind of, that credit card was going to come with that kind of interest rate. Hello. Has anybody said, well, you know, you, you thought you were getting the deal of the century and then you started really investigating and you're kind of like, huh, well, in light of that, I might make a different decision. Listen, when you are getting attached to Christ, he is going to show you some things about his character, his will, his way, and you might have some moments where you go, well, in light of that, maybe I shouldn't do that. Well, in light of his view of, of being free, maybe I shouldn't be addicted. Hello. I didn't mean to turn the light on in somebody's house. I know. I, come on, don't shout me down in this Presbyterian church. In light of that, I'm going to make a different decision. Why? I'm exposed to the character and the life of Jesus. But it's not only the light, the revelation of Jesus. He is also, as the vine dresser, ex exposing us to air. The underbelly, those things which are hidden. What is the air symbolic of? It's the Holy Spirit. 
It's the Spirit of God in its work with the Word of God. Oh, it goes together. Look at this. Uh, John 6, it says, it is the Spirit. These are the words of Jesus. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Everybody say that with me. The flesh profits nothing. Say it again. The flesh profits nothing. If you do anything in the flesh, what's it going to profit you? If you get angry whenever you're out shopping because you're like, ah, that person's three feet away, what is it going to profit? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. If you're so mad, you just gonna post about it on Facebook, it will profit. Nothing. Hello. It says, it's the spirit who gives life, the air of God. The flesh profits nothing, but listen to this. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. When the vine dresser comes and begins to expose you to the word, a breath of the spirit begins to work in your life. In the underbelly, in the things that you didn't think anybody else could see. He comes along and there's no fruit. What's he do? He lifts you up and he turns you to expose you to the character of his son and then gives you the life you need to nourish you so you can become who God has made you to become. This is the work of the vine dresser as he lifts us up. Now, we need to understand that not only is the spirit life and the words are life, but notice what Jesus says. John 14, again, this verse, we quote it, but we don't understand it. Jesus said these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Did you know that these are actually the names of the gates that lead into the, corp the, the temple courtyard? He's like, listen, if you want God, he says, I'm the gate. He's John 15, at the gate, with the vines and the clusters. I'm the vine. And he says, my father is going to expose you to this. He says, I'm the life. You want the spirit in your life? It only comes through Christ. Now, the second work of the father, the vine dresser, through the word is this. This is so good. He cleanses you. He cleanses you. Oh, man, I tell you what. This is pure revelation, so hold on. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Everybody say prunes. That it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Everybody say clean. All right. How many of you know that in our English language, the word prune means something different than the word clean? Way different, right? Just want to let you know, these two words in the Greek are the exact same word. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, God comes. He says, when you're bearing fruit, he cleans you. He cleans you. 
Now, again, let me take you back to the valley. And here along the ground are the vines with the clusters. And what you would see, even to this day, is vine dressers would come along, and as they see the fruit in its early stages, they take pots of water, and they, they are seen washing the fruit. Washing it and cleansing it. They wash the vines. They wash it. Why? Because it's growing along the ground. And if it gets caked with dirt and if it gets caked with other things, it will hinder that fruit from coming into fullness. Oh, this is so good. This is going to make me dance. I'm telling you. Hopefully I've got some dancing partner. Prunes and clean, cleaning are the same. Notice what happens when we bear fruit. He cleans us. He removes what is unnecessary for fruit bearing. But what does he use? The word of God. He uses the word because he says to the disciples, you are already pruned. I said it to you that way so you would understand. He said, you are already clean through the word I have spoken to you. What is he saying? These guys are about to have a major meltdown. Judas has already been possessed by a devil. That was, listen, I could not have had Jesus' staff. That's <laughs> terrible. They must have looked Judas up on an Indeed or something, got him online and hired him or something. He's messed up, possessed by a devil. Of the 11, all 10 are going to run away. And right before they run away, this is what Jesus said. You're already clean through the word. Good gracious. I'm about to get excited in here. He comes as the vine dresser to get the dirt off, to cleanse them in order that the fruit can ripen to perfection. Yeah, Woo! Let me just, let, can I take you back to the upper room? You're, this scripture is just going to open up to you. Back to the upper room. They're not eating. What does Jesus do? Jesus removes his outer garment, puts on a towel fills up a water basin, gets down, and starts to wash the feet of the disciples, and then he gets to Peter. Oh, this is so good. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. In biblical talk, because in just a couple minutes, I'm going to tell you. I'm about to tell you. You'll understand. He says, listen, Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him. If I don't wash 
you. You have no part with me. If you don't abide in me, if you are not connected to me, hello? If you are not connected to me, what's he saying? You have no part with me. So Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, he who is bathed, he who is clean, need only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, you are clean. And then he says, but not all of you, because he's talking about Judas. What's he saying? Peter had no idea what was going on. He's going to understand after dinner, as they're walking to Gethsemane, he's going to tell him. He's going to understand. Why? Because they had seen the vines. They had seen the grapes. They had seen the vine dresser. They understood. What we don't understand is this, is that, is that we are clean because of the word that God has sown into our lives. We are clean. And what is needed? We need to regularly Wash our feet in the word of God. We've got to allow those things which attempt to contaminate us and keep us from doing things in God to cleanse us so that the fruit that God wants to produce in our life will come into maturity. Oh, this is so good. You should write some of this down. The daily washing of the word leads to greater fruitfulness. When you live sin, parentheses, dirt conscious, it leads to paralyzation. When you live God, parentheses, clean conscious, it leads to propulsion. It leads to propel you. When you live sin conscious, all you're doing is you're staring at your dirty feet. Man, look at my dirty feet. Look at what I've been walking in again. How could God ever use me? I got dirt all over my feet. All while, if you're born again of the Spirit, you're already clean. You just need the vine dresser to come and to cleanse you by his word. You just need some of the, to be exposed to the character of God. You need the baptism of the Spirit to bring the life of God in you. And then what happens? Man, I'm not looking at dirty feet. I'm looking to God. Listen, you look at your dirty feet if you're constantly looking at your message up and you're living in introspection, you will never do anything for God. Never. Why? Oh, oh, look at my dirty feet. And Jesus said, listen, what did Jesus say? What I am doing, you need to do for others. I'm, 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 I'm wearing a towel today. And I'm kneeling down at your feet and I'm giving you a word 
which will actually help you walk into fruitfulness. It is to get your eyes off your feet and lift your eyes to God who has cleansed you, who has forgiven you, who has washed you as your vine dresser. I don't know about you, but I'm happy that I am clean. I am clean. See, it's his word. He's doing it with his word. Psalm 119, verse 9 and 11, it says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed, by treasuring, taking heed according to your word. Your word, it's washing me, it's cleansing me. It says, Your word have I hidden in my heart, I treasure it, that I might not sin against you. Oh, listen, it gets even better. You go into the New Testament, and by the way, this is not a sermon on marriage, but husbands, if you need some help, here you go. Ephesians chapter 5 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Listen here, here's why. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she should be holy and without blemish. How does he do it? He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Every woman I have ever met on her wedding day wants her makeup done by somebody else <laughs> wants her hair done by somebody else why because she's getting ready for the big day and you know what this verse says God comes and by his word he starts to fix you up because church he's getting you ready for a wedding day I gotta I gotta let you know I'm without spot I'm without blemish I am without wrinkle because his word has made me clean but the problem is, is we got dirt sticking to us from all the circumstance that is going on. And we just need to get back into the water of the word. So the fruit of our life will come into maturity. That's the work of the vine dresser. Why don't you just say it out loud? I'm cleansed by the word. This is what he said to his disciples. You are already clean. Say it again. I'm cleansed by the word of God. The word of God is Jesus. Oh, man. I tell you, when you live aware that he's made you clean, you're going to live a different way. You're going to live a different way. 2 Corinthians 5 is going to take on a new light to you. It says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. How many could ever stand as one with the full backing of heaven, an ambassador for Christ? Are you kidding me? If you're constantly looking at your dirty little piggies, you will never live as an ambassador. But if you're looking at the God who has cleansed you by the word, by Jesus, you'll live as an ambassador doing what this scripture says. As though God himself were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God for, here's why, here's why. He, God, who made him, Jesus, he, he said, he who knew no sin to be sin for us. Listen, he who had no dirt. No dirt. He was never dirty. Took our dirt upon him so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. So I can become clean. 
I got good news. I can stand as an ambassador, as one who has been cleansed by the word of God. I will be a part of the great harvesting crew because I'm not going to live paralyzed by the sin. I'm just going to let the water wash me. I'm going to be cleansed by my vine dresser. I'm going to live more and more exposed to the character of Christ, exposed to the the movement of his spirit, and I'm going to allow the word to change me and then stand as an ambassador, totally clean, totally prepared, ready for that great sound to come, ready for the archangel and the trump of God. I am ready, and I'm telling others, I implore you, be reconciled to Christ. Why? So you can be clean too. Because you can be clean too. Oh, it's so good. He died for us. Oh, man, if you're religious, this is going to mess with you. And if you are religious, I just want you to know this sermon is so I can push every one of your buttons. (laughs) He died for you to be as clean as Christ. He did. Because he bore our sins on the cross. He took them. And he gave me a righteousness I could never earn. Through repentance and faith in him. Now, the last thing the vine dresser does, after he lifts us, turns us, as he washes us, is this. He works through us. He works through us. Now, let's read verse 4. It says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Let's look at verse 7 and 8. If you, notice how all of this comes together. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Let me end that the way that I think would be more effective on your own heart. So then you will be like me. Because he was the master and we are the learners. That's what disciples mean. We're learners. We're learning of him, taking on his, his nature. So you'll be like me. What's he doing? Bearing much fruit. Now, there was a massive blueberry harvest this year all around here. Tons of people out in the middle of the COVID crisis, blueberry picking, right? They were everywhere. Matter of fact, so many people stayed in that they had to harvest them and give them away. And so there were were massive giveaways of blueberries. Now, for those who went to pick blueberries, just want to take a poll. Did anyone hear this sound? on the blueberry farm. You say, what is that sound? That is the sound of the blueberry bush straining to make fruit.
But church, every Monday after being in church on Sunday, you go out into the public and you're like, ah, ah. Do you know the way to really produce fruit? Just stay attached to the vine, abide in him, allow the word to abide in you, and then live a life of prayer. Fruit will be the byproduct of you staying intimately connected to him. Most of the time, our Christian lives look like this. We're like, dirty feet. Ah! Oh, no fruit again. Ah! I hope he doesn't take me away. When you need to say, oh God, I just love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that's new every morning. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for, for washing me by your word. Oh man, I didn't see it before, but now I see it in your word and I'm gonna change. I'm gonna do things your way. I'm just gonna abide in you. I'm just gonna worship you. I'm just gonna love on you. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's like, oh wow, where'd that fruit come from? I thought we were not supposed to pray for patience. Christians say dumb things. You would never have to pray for patience if you would just abide. Some of you are like, yeah, God's so mean. Man, he's going to throw something at me so I get patient. You've lost it. <laughs> God, help your people. Fruit bearing is the byproduct of abiding, not straining. Write these down. Write this down. I'm going to end it with this. Total reliance on the person of Jesus plus treasuring every word of Jesus plus prayers in the name of Jesus equals much eternal fruit. Total reliance on the person of Jesus, the vine, treasuring every word, the cleansing work of Jesus, plus prayers, because he said, you will ask what you desire. He, Jesus connected this to a life of prayer. He says, prayers in the name of Jesus equals much eternal fruit. And listen, when you are bearing that kind of fruit, here's what Jesus said. My Father's glorified in you. But what do we need? We need to say yes to the vine dresser. To lift us. To turn us. To wash us. And to work through us.